You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. All right, this is the one. I can feel it. Podcast, 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 podcast. The first and the best Chiefs podcast. Real ones know the show is called Amateur Hour. The Amateur Hour podcast is now airing on KC Sports Network. Ryan Scott Hall and his Dirkness are back again. We've got football, friendship, and fun. All these shows, we're still number one, season 12. Oh, wow, here it comes. Welcome, my friends, to Emma, Amateur Hour Podcast. Podcast. Man, I can't hit that note right. Podcast! Is that right? Ah, well. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, Amateur Hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a amateur. I suppose. Amateur hour is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour is what's happening. Yeah, that's right, folks. The show is called Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall. And joining me today, he's on one heck of a hot streak, folks. It's his Dirk Stradamus. <laughs> Good and sup. Good and sup. I couldn't decide. Good and sup or sup and talk? I heard so many people trying to speak German this past week. And it's like, you know, between the, the Taylor Swift stuff this week. Uh, between the, or I say this week, the, the Taylor Swift stuff this season and now the German stuff, like everyone is getting this like, like very unique kind of pocketed content. Well, what about the ref, the ref that said false start in German on the first, I was like, <laughs> that kind of blew my mind. Although it was like 6am. So I didn't know what was going on. I, I might've just imagined that. I have no idea if that was real. Or not. <laughs> I, I was, uh, I was definitely surprised by it. I couldn't tell if it was just like uh, like the mic was cutting out or if it was actually real, but he did it a few different times. And I'm like, weird flex, but okay. All right. Did they pick him? Did he apply for the game? And his one of his like listed skills was, I actually do speak German. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dirk, man, I mentioned it in the uh, your, your little introduction there. Uh, three weeks in a row now. His darkness, you have really had your finger on the pulse of the Kansas City Chiefs. So how does it feel to be the greatest Chiefs prognosticator on the planet? <laughs> did I predict this one? I mean, I, I guess I did. I, I guess I kind of expected a uh, bounce back performance, um, you know, which we saw for the start of the game, at least. I mean, at least on one side of the ball the entire game and on one side of the ball for the first half, mostly, I guess I would say. Uh, but yeah, you could, I mean, you could absolutely tell that the team was locked in. Uh, they had their game faces on. Uh, they definitely treated this one like a, like a big game. Um, but to answer your question, I guess I, I enjoyed it a lot more this week than, than last week. I did not enjoy being right uh, about the team last week. I enjoyed it way more this week. Uh, so you mentioned that the chiefs played well for a half, basically, um, let me start with this because it's it's been an ongoing discussion uh, as we kind of do this back and forth a little bit about the offense. 
was the second half Andy Reid shutdown mode. After going up 21-0, the Chiefs had five drives, 22 plays, 46 yards, and were shut out in the second half for the second week in a row. I don't know. What, what happened? I, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of pulling up the drives here. I mean, you're getting a third and 18 on on one of them because of a holding call. You're getting a third and 20 on the next drive, and that's where Mahomes fumbles it. Um, no, I, I I don't think I would describe it as Andy Reid shutdown mode because I think they took the Dolphins very seriously. Um, I think this is a game that they knew they had to have. Um, just, I mean, just to take control of the AFC, I guess. It did not strike me as an Andy Reid shutdown mode situation, um, which makes it more concerning, in my opinion. Um, it's just, I mean, it's just kind of a wild game because, I mean, there's kind of, there's kind of two camps amongst Chiefs fans right now. You know, one is over here saying how good the team is with this newfound defense and that the offense is going to come around. And, you know, the other one's sitting here, you know, lamenting how bad the offense is and, you know, questioning if they're going to be able to come through, like when it comes to the playoffs and stuff like that. And really, this game just only made both sides scream louder because, you know, both sides were kind of right in this game. The offense was had probably not their worst game of the season. I guess you'd probably say Denver, but I mean, only putting up 14 points. And the Dolphins have a lot of talent on defense, but have not played well on defense this year. I could see it coming around here in the second half of the season. It should be a better defense than it has been. Um, and then maybe on the other side of the ball, maybe the best defensive game of the year. Um, I know they've held some other teams to lower point totals, but Miami was basically the number one offense in the NFL across all metrics. Uh, and you're only holding the 14 points and really only 10 points if you take away that, you know, stupid, possibly bogus Chris Jones penalty. Um, so really, I mean, this just fueled the fire for both sides to to scream louder about their their point that they're making. Um, and so it, that's, that's kind of how the game went. You know, I don't I, I, I sit here at the bye week and I really don't know what to make of this team. Um. That Chiefs offense, despite some of the like DVOA statistics, despite seeing that a lot of different offenses are struggling, dude, it's really weird to look and see that the Chiefs have only scored over 24, three out of the first nine times. Um, that's that's an alarming one for me. Uh, I I don't know, man. Like I think the thing that I feel like I keep hearing. And you sort of mentioned this last week that like even if they don't come out on top against the Dolphins, which they did, thankfully, uh, that the bye week was going to be really important for them to be able to get back in the lab with the Vex coach and the best quarterback in the league and try to reset at what is a pretty natural midway point. They've got eight games left in the year in a 17-game season. Do you do you agree with, I guess, the narrative that the Chiefs need a buy right now. Like they've been awfully sloppy, even in their wins. Minus four in turnovers. They're second in the league. They're the most penalized team in the league. I I don't I, I don't I don't I don't know if it's they need the buy right now, but is that something that you're buying into? Because I'm hearing it a lot. They need the buy. Uh, I mean, I, I it should do them some good. Yeah. I mean, this is uh an area where Andy Reid thrives and this really seems to fall on Andy Reid's feet or fall to his feet. Uh, I should say uh, this, a lot of this, <laughs> a 
a lot of his problems. Because I mean, I I still don't get, I still haven't heard an, an answer to my question that I keep asking. Um, I've asked it for most of the season. I, I asked it strongly last week. It's basically the exact same wide receiver room as last year, and they're the number one offense across basically all platforms last year. Mm-hmm. And so, really, going from Juju to Rishi Rice, it just doesn't make sense to me that they would fall off this much on the offensive end. I just can't get it. And this isn't, I mean, this is me. It gives me kind of optimism because I think that they'll turn it around because of that, because there's just not much reason for it to be as as bad as it has been. Um, but at the same time, it's we're looking at nine games here, and and I just don't, it doesn't compute with me why it has fallen off that much with such little change of at, at the receiver position. So the most compelling point that I've heard to that uh, came from our friend, the Ginger Giant. He's great, everybody. It's Craig Stout. Uh, I don't know if you have caught the lab just yet. I know they were they went live last night. Um, Craig was talking about they they started having the snap count conversation because if you guys didn't see, uh, if you haven't been kind of keeping a, a pulse on it. Sky Moore was averaging, I would say, around 60% of the offensive snaps from week one through week eight. Um, I mean, even if you just look at week seven and eight, he was at 60 and 54%. Suddenly, week nine against the Dolphins, Sky Moore gets dropped down to 25% of the snaps. Um, Rasheed Rice has now, over the last two games have the most snaps of any receiver. So we're starting to see a shift here. Um, there's some consistencies that you'll start to see. Uh, and we can like get real deep into these numbers if you want. But Craig's point, as I kind of dance around it here, was that last year, the biggest difference was the actual like target share. Forget the snap percentages. There were only two games in the regular season last year where any Chiefs receiver had fewer than six targets. And we hardly have any games so far this year where any Chiefs receiver has had six targets. So although Andy and Pat are spreading the ball around and spreading the snaps around, you're still not seeing someone emerge as like a primary target in that receiving room. Um, and so I think that that's where a whole, a, a number of people are kind of hoping to see it shift. I mean, I have seen our, our guy kind of a throwback here. Um, Joe Dice really been on the war path these past couple of weeks talking about like it, it's not Sky Moore's fault that the ball isn't being thrown to him when he gets open, or it's not this receiver, that receiver, whatever. And who cares how long they're on the field? If you're not throwing them the ball, then it's hard for them to get hot. It's hard for them to make plays and clutch situations. Um, and I don't disagree with that notion, but until Mahomes starts throwing volume at a single player or a couple players, I don't know how much the snap counts matter, even though it is really interesting, I guess, to see Sky suddenly drop down to 25%. His previous lowest percent of snaps, by the way, in a single game this year was 52 snaps cut in half from his lowest game of the season. So I thought that was super interesting against Miami. Well, yeah, I mean, we kind of uh, discussed that last week, whether that would be uh, a thing or not, because was that like Sky's last chance? I mean, you can't keep trotting out here without the lack of production for whatever reason. 
Um, and I, it, there have been some times where he's open and Mahomes doesn't trust him kind of thing. You even saw that kind of rear its ugly head with like a, a really weird snap where he didn't get off the ball in time this week, and then they threw it to him anyways, and it was just kind of like, I don't know what that was. It was just like a throwaway play. Um, so I don't, I don't, I've never really considered receiver like a rhythm position, kind of like a running back. I know like a running back, I, I definitely see the argument like he needs to start feeling the game and feeling himself, and uh, you know it takes like 15 carries, 20 carries for a guy to really get going kind of thing. Uh, for for specific backs, especially, um, I've never really thought about that as a receiver. I guess I can see it, um, but this this is also a point that goes back. I mean, we said this after, I think week one or week two, and it was like we got to start trimming down the fat here in the receiver room because I mean they were playing even back then they were playing uh, Justin Ross and they were playing who's the other cat that's on the uh, trade block now the uh, Richie James Richie James uh, I think he could be an interesting name. Uh, so now, now you're throwing Hardman in there, who's just another body. Um, Tony, who they've been talking up all season, he only got seven snaps. I don't know. It, it was good to see him catch that slant route, like an actual football route. That was good to see, and he and he looked good. He looked quick doing it. Um, but man, they just they're it seems like they're giving throwing in the towel on Tony too. Um, but sharpening up the room is probably a good thing. And what you I mean, a good thing is. Rasheed Rice emerging at the top of the receiver room. That's definitely what you want to see. Watson, the most trusted receiver, also our best downfield receiver this year. Um, so I I don't know if Watson, I've heard some Watson and MVS kind of, you know, they kind of do the same thing. So playing them together is kind of kind of a waste. Um, but they got some time to figure this out, I guess. Um, but I would keep trimming the fat. Um, I don't know if they would go away from MVS. That seems... I just, I, he's just their most veteran receiver. I don't know if we'll get to that point, even if I might argue that it's the right thing to do at this point. Uh, just with the lack of production we've seen from him, uh, never seem to be on the same page in those downfield throws. And, and like I said, Watson's been the better downfield receiver this year. Um, and then, so you're looking at Rice and Watson, who I like out there, and then maybe rotation at that third spot, maybe getting all Sky and Hardman and Tony, throwing him in there for some, for some speed and quickness. Um, would be my solution. But yeah, I, I think trimming the fat in the receiver was probably a good idea. I've never really thought them of it as a rhythm position like that. I I can totally see the case for it being a rhythm thing. Um, I, I think it hasn't necessarily helped uh, MBS or Sky to just be on the field. So let me let me throw some numbers at you. Actually, let's do that after this first uh, this first break. Let's get some money. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you look forward to the holidays? Maybe you struggle with the seasonal blues as days start to get colder and shorter here in Kansas City. And this time of year can be a lot. And it's natural to feel some sadness or some anxiety about it. But I think something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change. Something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything that's going on. It's a helpful learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries that empowers you to be the best version of yourself as well. And it isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. 
Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash KCSN to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash KCSN. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, my friends, are you ready? Ready. For some flag football. The Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Kansas City's Flag Football League is in full effect. Games are super competitive. They're fun to watch. They're at Cleveland Park, 4211 Cleveland Avenue. The best way to get in there? Go in the 43rd Street entrance. Come see some of our future Chiefs hone their skills on the field. Flag football is just one of the many sports programs offered at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Kansas City. Dirk's actually going to tell you about another league coming up. But in addition to flag, folks, the Boys and Girls Clubs offer leagues for baseball, softball, basketball, and more. Search volunteer options on helpkckids.org. Registration is now open for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Kansas City's Basketball League. Uh, This league is a great introductory experience for any young person just developing their hoop skills, just like you, Ryan. Uh, All games are played on Saturdays starting January 13th. The postseason tournament championship games will be held downtown at the nationally recognized College Basketball Experience. I missed the experience. I like that place. CBE. Register your child today. Check the link in the show notes uh, for more information. Thank you to the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah, absolutely. We are powered by helpkckids.org. Powered by the children. So, some numbers for you. You think the children, you think the kids listen to our to our show? They probably shouldn't. Thought of ask. I honestly don't know. Um, in some ways, it's a fear of mine. Even <laughs> some, of my, some of my kids go to the boys and girls clubs of Greater Kansas City. <laughs> this uh, is the show we're sponsoring? We, oh, yeah. What are we doing? Well, uh, let's think about this for a second. Your guy, MBS. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's really anybody's guy, but you just mentioned MBS saying, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to go away from him. Hey, I, I will never forget the AFC Championship game. I don't care if he finishes the year with under 200 yards. I don't know what he's at, but I, but, I, I will never forget that game. It was it was an epic performance. 
I know that uh, I I don't have the number in front of me in terms of his targets last year, but I want to say it was like in the 90s. You probably have it in your notes. Um, but so MBS so far this year, first in snaps, number one, played more snaps than any other receiver. Uh, he is at 373, only nine snaps behind Travis Kelsey. He has the same number of targets as Noah Gray. 24 out of 373 snaps as MBS earned a target. That's a 6% share, ladies and gentlemen. It's extremely low. Not really looking his way at all. Um, our second most snapped receiver, Sky Moore, 338 snaps on the season. He's been targeted a meager 30 times this year through nine games. Uh, 9% of his snaps earning a target. Um, it's really interesting to me. You mentioned like Justin Watson, uh, being our best downfield receiver. Uh, a lot of folks even wanting to call him white receiver one. Um, but who wants to do that? But Justin Watson, want to do that? <laughs> Justin Whiteson, uh, he has more targets than MBS on 130 fewer snaps. Uh, Tony, we knew was getting like this huge snap, like target share early. Uh, he has 28 targets on 141 snaps. I mean, it's, it's kind of wild. Like how these numbers are working out right now. Rasheed Rice is second on the team in targets, uh, despite being third in snaps behind Kelsey. Uh, actually, I guess fourth in snaps, fifth in snaps. Ah, the numbers keep growing. That. Uh, look. All, all of this is to say, I know it's a lot of numbers thrown at you, but I don't know what they're doing with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. What would you say you do here? Uh, I I don't, I, I if I am choosing who gets to go out and play the lion's share of the snaps after the bye week, MBS is not on my list. He can be in the top four or whatever of the receiver room, because he knows the offense better than Tony or Hardman, and you can trust him to run the right route, and he can do maybe a few things that those guys can't, and vice versa. But I don't think that MVS should be getting more snaps than Rasheed Rice, Justin Watson, or Sky Moore at all for the rest of the season. Uh, and even Sky, I'm I'm pretty sour on at this point. Uh, it sounds like we fixed it. Yeah, right? I think we're in uh, agreement here. We fixed it. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, the Chiefs are sixth in pass play percentage. They're throwing it 61% of the time, which, believe it or not, is actually half a percent lower than last year's pace, 61.5% at the end of the year. Um, so technically, if they want to be last year's offense, they got to throw it even a little bit more. Does that seem right to you? Does that sound right? They need I, a mobile more? I, I came across the exact same stat today from our guy, Joseph Hefe, who does makes terrific analytical charts. Um, a great follow on Twitter. He does some some work with your uh, KCSN. Um, but I was shocked to see that because it seems like we have run the ball less. I would say we run it less successfully. Like a lot of people wanted to run the ball, but the running game has not been great this year. Um, that, this kind of bleeds into the third and one discussion. People are really losing their shit over third and one over not running the ball up the middle. Um, the Chiefs are not good at that. They are not good at turning around and handing the ball to Pacheco up the middle. 
Now, you can argue that they should be sneaking it, um, and that's fine. That's a, that's that's a different argument. However, I will say, after seeing the Dolphins just give the Chiefs no respect on the quarterback sneak, if they were to waste that play, I guess this is a big game, so I, it might be okay. If they were to waste that play in a regular season game and not a playoff game, like to get to bust it out for the first time when nobody's expecting it, that's a, that's a play you save for a playoff game. Um, so if they were to waste that this week, I, I would have been very upset. Or if they waste that in any other regular season, if they just run that like against, you know, the Packers in a game, I'm going to be very upset because we've been saving this for four years and now we just bust it out in a, in a random game. Um, regardless, um, the running game just doesn't seem as strong as it does last year, um, despite having a good start. I don't I couldn't tell you why. I mean, it's been more Pacheco than than anybody else. Um, but I don't, I, I don't, I don't have any further analysis really. I don't know if we should, I, I, I'd like running the ball. I'd like to run it a little more, but I don't think, I think the balance is just about right. So there's a couple things that I think kind of play into this conversation that are very interesting to me. Uh, I know you're still blocked, but Bill Barnwell, uh, he tweeted this week that Blaine Gabbert is 12 of 13 in his career getting a first down on a QB sneak. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. Like, if you're going to put Blake Bell under center, why not just put a quarterback under center? I know that you don't want to take Mahomes off the field or whatever, but, like, the whole point of the QB sneak is it doesn't matter if people know that it's coming. It I think still I, works. I don't agree. I don't agree. I, I think it does matter. Really? You think that, like, if they line up, if Blaine Gabbard comes in and he's under center, that suddenly they're going to be like, well, no way they let Blaine throw. You can't see Andy setting that shit up? Because I know that he would let Blaine do a little oh my. Uh, a little bootleg or oh throw a ball once or whatever. Like, And I'm I'm 100% here for it. 100% oh no, here no. for it. People would lose their shit. They would lose their shit after just like any fake punt, like, how can you take Mahomes off the field and let and let the punter throw the ball? Okay, but did the same but, thing. I mean, didn't Blake Ball throw it once? Didn't we do that? I'm not sure if he did or not, but like it's, it's like any any trick play. He's a genius. He's brilliant. He goes down in historic lore for generations if it works, and if not, in hindsight, everybody's going to say it sucked because it didn't work. So who freaking cares? Uh, I mean, I, I I think it's just a it's too big of a tell if you bring in. You know, Gabbert, and then everyone's looking like you bring in Blake Bell and have him go under center. Like he might turn around and hand it off. Gabbert can do the same thing. All the options are exactly the same, except Gabbert is a better thrower and seemingly a better runner too. Well, it worked because I mean, when they did it the first couple of times, you weren't expecting it. Obviously, defense has caught on. It's like, well, Blake Bell's going in motion. Like here comes the snake. Like defense is obviously caught up to it. The, the third and one play that I liked the most. Um, sorry, my dog. Yelp there. Um, the third one play I liked the most, and I would like to see them bring it back, was like in the 2018-2019 realm. Peanut, take it easy. I don't know what's going on. Um, it's, it's the early dark time. She hates it. We all hate it. We're all we're all pissed off over here. Um, but they were in the option. They used to run the option in third and short plays, and they were very, very successful with it. Um, and then they kind of went away with that. I think they continued to run it even after Mahomes injured because I want to say they did it in the playoffs of that 2019 game. They always kind of have like a go-to short yardage play for like 
per season. And it's kind of, it was like, you know, like the fullback trap, the Blake Bell going under center and snaking it. They have the option to begin with. Um, I really like that spreading it out, going to a shotgun and then running the option with it and letting Mahomes kind of pick like that. But also one of their most successful plays. I mean, we talked about this ad nauseum last season a lot. It didn't seem like people cared nearly as much last year uh, like they do this year. We were the worst in the NFL last season on third and one. Um, and we ended up deciding a lot of that was because we would turn around and hand the ball off and it didn't work. The Chiefs offense is not good at that. People have to accept this. I don't know what they're remembering. They are not good in that situation. So we decided their best play was just drop back and throw it. Just call a normal pass play. Treat it like a third and four and just let Mahomes call a normal pass play. Well, I mean, we kind of did that. I was kind of just kind of a rollout, I guess. But that's we've run that play many times and and been successful with it. So I don't, I'm not super mad at that play call. Um, if you're just gonna get mad and say that they're, you know, not sneaking it, I guess that's something. But I, I mean, the play I want to see again, and short yardage because they're. Pro- I haven't seen any stats like if they're the league's worst at it this year, they have to be among the worst. Um, I would go back to the option run out of the shotgun, spread them out, and run the option. I don't know that I have a specific solution in terms of like, this is the play that we should run. Thanks for one-upping me here. But I do think it's an important question to ask. Like, the Chiefs, I think, are in a really interesting position in terms of the play calling, uh, and particularly some of this situational play calling. I, I want to ask if they need to be more aggressive, and, and here's the background that I want to present to you. It seems like because the Chiefs have this dominant defense and an all-pro punter that they should play it conservatively. They should trust the defense. They should trust Tommy Townsend. They should play field position. And ultimately, at the end of the game, if you're behind, you still have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey and la-da-da-da-da. But, like, I kind of think that being more aggressive on some of these fourth downs or really just as an offense in general might maybe help get them rolling a little bit. Like the solution that we were always kind of posing during Alex Smith's tenure was, can we please go up tempo? Like just, just go fast, right? Like try to throw the defense off in some way. And I mean, I would absolutely love to see Mahomes go up tempo. Um, don't get me wrong. That should be no Shane Buchel in the up tempo offense, but Mahomes is obviously fantastic, especially when you know the other team is not able to do the same level of substitutions, so on and so forth. But like, if, even if it's just some of these, like should they or shouldn't they? And I'm not even talking about like the field goals. I think that they're going to let Bunker kick every single field goal all the time. Uh, maybe until the playoffs, like when it really counts. But when it comes to let's try to hang on to the ball right here for a little bit, if it's kind of that borderline, you're around midfield, whatever, or maybe just like, hey, Mahomes takes some deep shots. I mean, he's kind of in the uh, the the arm punt category so far this year. But like, I don't, I don't know. Do they need to be more aggressive? Do you think it would give the offense a jolt if Andy was like, hey, despite the all-pro punter, and despite this, you know, top of the line defense that they suddenly have, I'm still got to put faith in my quarterback because he's the best player on the planet, and we're going to be aggressive in these situations. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, people are kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth. I think that applies here. But I mean, with the offense being as bad as it has been and yet still wanting to go for all these fourth downs, like they're just they haven't been a great offense this year. So I, I that's I think why they've been less aggressive on fourth downs. Um, I, I, it's an interesting point. I, I mean, I could see that. Um, I would say there was one last week against Denver that I thought was by far the worst of the season. But the big difference was they were losing in the game. Like, you want to be aggressive if they're if they're losing in the game. Like, I am cool with this, uh, you know, being conservative like they are now because the offense is struggling and the defense is great. Like, I'm I'm fine with a lot of this if you have the lead. Like, if, with all that stuff going on against Miami, not getting the third and one, all of that, then coming back to make it a seven-point game, I still felt confident the defense was going to make stops when they needed to. Like, I, I just have a confidence in the defense now. Um, and I, so I'm fine playing the game conservatively, traditionally, however you want to say it. However, if you're losing in a game, that was the one, that was the only one I've been really mad about this year was, was the fourth and four, like past midfield, uh, Nick tells us fourth and four. And I think we we're at, like the Denver 47 or something like that, or you're losing in the game in the second half. Like that's, you have to be aggressive there. Um, with, with the lead, I, I'm, I'm fine. I'm kind of fine with this defense, but it is an interesting point that, that maybe that would spark the offense a little bit and the tempo thing I would always be down with that for a spark but I just don't think it's ever ever happening with Andy Reid yeah I mean I find it really interesting too so there's been some stats kind of rolling around in the discourse about balance I mean I I was begging them over the last couple weeks saying like the Chiefs have to figure out balance you've got to run the ball more it's when you are at your best last season is when you started to lean into Pacheco. And I found something super strange. So the Chiefs are 10-0 and 0, uh, is the stat that people keep pointing out about Pacheco. They're 10-0 and 0 when Pacheco gets 15 or more carries. Um, just, just for argument's sake, folks, since Pacheco was drafted, the Chiefs are 24-5. and 5. So 10 and 0 in that 24 and 5 sample, not super surprising. Um, since November 13th of 2023, essentially the last calendar year, let's say, uh, just a few days shy of the last 365, the Chiefs are 2 and 2 when Pacheco has single digit carries. Two of those wins, week 17 and week 18. Of last year. So the two games that they've lost when Pacheco has single digit carries happened in week one against the Lions uh, when he was kind of coming off injury. You know, like I, I still kind of want to write that one off a little bit. And then it was last week against Denver. Um, so they've been pretty good about at least getting him double digit carries. Um, maybe not 15 or more every week. Uh, but I was actually kind of surprised when I looked down the backstretch last year that basically starting November 13th, it was like every single game Pacheco was getting double-digit carries apart from weeks 17 and 18 when they were probably more on cruise control than anything. Um, the only loss that they have when Pacheco's had like a quote-unquote good game uh, was against Cincinnati in the regular season last year. Pacheco went 14 for 66 and had a touchdown. I don't think that this necessarily means that he's like the bellwether for the offense, that he's the person that like, if Pacheco gets these number of carries, it's a guaranteed formula to win. But 
I do think that they need to be intentional about giving him the ball at least like a minimum number of carries. Um, and, and I I think he's he's been pretty good when he's been given chances. But then I go and look at some of these numbers, dude, and it's like, go ahead, please take it away because I'm sure you're seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at his game logs right now. I mean, well, you're getting into one problem with causation and correlation because you run the ball more and you're leading and all that. I think a lot of people know that and recognize that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just looking at his yards per attempt, uh, you know, last year starting in that area that you're starting, 5, 7, 3, 4.7, 5.4, 5.74. And then coming into this year, he had 2.8 against Detroit, 5.8, 4.1, 5.7, and then hits a dip, 3.4, 3.8, 2.4. Five last week and then four. It's just his yards per carry. Um, let's see if I can get a, each per each season, but like it's it's dropped this year, and that was kind of something we had our eye on. So four point nine last year for the whole season, down to four point two this year. Um, it's that was one of the questions about the tackles. Like they were supposed to be better at you know pass protecting, um, but Jawan Taylor had that weird horrible run grade last year. He was like the lowest rated tackle in the in the league by and run blocking, uh, which just seemed really weird. Uh, maybe that's a factor. Um, otherwise, I, I mean, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer other than just the line maybe not up to the same standard. Um, but he has not. They haven't been as effective running the ball this year as they were last year. Um, so that's that would be that that's something that they could definitely clean up during the bye week, I think, and just kind of look at what's working and look at what's not working. It, it it's even weirder because I feel like they've last year. I feel like they called that shotgun, you know, outside zone read play a lot more than they have this year. Um, I feel like they've kind of gotten away from it smartly because it's a horrible play, and yet still the yards per carry has dropped down versus last year. Uh, so I just think those inside runs um, that's just not being as productive as they were last year, um, and I don't really have an answer. One one last thing on the offense. I think when you you got anything else? Uh, I mean Mahomes. Um, in terms of his comments. Come oh, what do you got? Well, so on the field after the game in Miami. They ask him about the defense, and he says, you know, they're the best defense in the NFL. And he says, we will get this offense figured out. I promise. And in Peter King's article, uh, he later stated the exact same thing. Peter King said, Pat Mahomes told me twice, we will get this offense figured out. I promise. Not, we'll get it fixed. Not, we're going to get rolling. He says, specifically figured out. Out. So to me, I think what that says is, hey, we've been mixing and matching. We've been doing all these different formations. We've been doing different personnel packages. And we're really just trying to kind of figure out what it is that we are good at. What is our bread and butter? And obviously, Mahomes is confident. He should be. He and Andy are going to say, you know, something to that effect. But it's not, we're going to get it working. It's not, you know, we're going to fix it. It's, we're going to get it figured out. As if right now it's kind of mysterious and they've been working through, you know, this cloudy period. And I think that we're just really hoping that they come out of the bye week with clear skies, so to speak. Um, although no pun intended for sky. Uh, I mean, it's, it is definitely on their radar. I mean, Kelsey came out last week and spoke passionately about kind of the same thing. So it's definitely on their radar. Uh, the offense can kind of feel that they're struggling. And you really, man, after that first drive in this game, I really thought like, they had figured it out. Like it looked like the offense of old. Um, and it was kind of like the scripted plays looked really good. And then once they got off those, the offense kind of 
fell apart. So they were the Chiefs of old then, because sometimes the first 15 was great, and then we didn't do anything until like quarter four. I feel like that was an Alex Smith era thing, uh, but I do remember that definitely being a thing. Um, And a weird stat that I saw, so in the first half this year, the Chiefs have scored touchdowns on 14 of their 45 drives. Uh, That's fourth in the NFL. So pretty good, really good in the first half, fourth in touchdowns. Uh, I assume that's a ratio thing. Uh, Second half, they've scored a touchdown on five of their 39 drives, and that is 30th in the NFL. Um, so, I mean, that leads you to a few different things. Uh, Andy Reid shutdown mode comes to mind first, uh, being up in some of these games and shutting it down, uh, the scripted plays, I guess, um, outside of that, I mean, it's, I don't totally know what to think of. They only had 46 yards of offense in this second half. So this is definitely a thing. And I didn't, I didn't realize it was such a stark difference, uh, that they are struggling that much in the second half of games. Um, do you? Did you draw anything from that? I mean, Andy reached out that mode initially came to mind because it's just like, okay, yeah, that's when they'd shut it down is after halftime in some of these games and they're just going to protect this lead because that's the MO of Andy reached shutdown mode. But that's staggering number. Only five second half touchdowns from the offense this year. Did you say they're fourth in the first half and 30th in the second half? Yes. Uh, the difference, I believe it was around 31 or 32% of their drives in the first half have resulted in a touchdown and it's down at like 11 or 12, maybe 30 13, I think, uh, 13% or so in the second half. Yeah, that's not great. Uh, it's not great. I, I, The first thing that I thought of, and now granted this was me trying to kind of like circumnavigate what you had already said there that uh, you were thinking of Andy Reid shutdown mode. The first thing that came to mind that you didn't mention to me is, I mean, maybe it's just getting outmaneuvered at halftime, which... I don't want to think that I don't ever really want to even, even like lend credence to the fact that Andy Reed could be out coached by somebody, particularly the likes of some of the coaches that they have faced so far this year. That doesn't necessarily add up to me. Um, but I mean, it's interesting, you know, because some of these numbers, like it's really hard, I think to contextualize everything that we see. There's so much data out there. Like the Chiefs are like 12th, I think, in scoring offense right now. And they've had a couple of pretty down weeks. Um, But like they're plus 65 in point differential. They're fifth in the NFL. Some of that has to do with their defense being the second best scoring defense in the league. But the team that is in first, have you seen these, these Baltimore Ravens numbers, Dirk? Some of the defensive stats? Yes. I mean... Baltimore is plus 115 through nine games. They are 35 points better than second place. Um, Some of this has to do with their ability to shut out a few opponents or bring them into single digits. I think they've had three different games that they've won by like 30. Um, Including against two really good teams and the Lions and uh, our Seahawks are pretty good, but... That's, those are some monster ones. That was point differential. That's what you were reading. That's that. Yeah, Chiefs are plus sixty-five. Baltimore's plus one fifteen. Just for the oh, just for the season. Just goal. for the season so far. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean that's that's a staple for a long time. I mean the, the Chiefs are not interested in blowing teams out. I've said it many many times. Uh, a good comment here that I liked. Almost feels like he's saving offense for postseason. McKinnon has barely been involved, and you got to believe Andy is saving himself for late in the year. We kind of danced on that. 
uh, last year when I was talking about, or last week when I was talking about McKinnon's stats dropping way off from last year. Uh, something like 520 receiving yards down to like 120 through half the season this year. Um, he was on pace for basically half of what he ended the year with last year. Such, and, and McKinnon was a huge weapon. I mean, and the touchdowns, they had nine receiving touchdowns last year. Um, so eight of them came in like the final eight weeks or something though. So he had a huge second half. I mean, that might just be a annual strategy. Like McKinnon's an older guy. He's not going to last 20 games. So, you know, don't even use him in the first half, save him for the, save him for the second half. He's someone who's clearly comfortable with Mahomes. I mean, he would find him time and time again on these broken down plays. And he's always looking for McKinnon. It was either Kelsey or McKinnon every time it seemed like last year. Um, and so he is a guy, and he even got a shout out today from James Palmer, who might be like the most locked in uh, national guy on the Chiefs. It seems like all he does is basically follow the Chiefs around. Um, and he kind of mentioned in some video that came out today, you know, look for Jarek McKinnon to start getting more involved in the second half of the year. Um, and this is just kind of like the, this could go into like some of the struggles this year because I keep asking the receiver and core is basically the same, the ancillary options and Ancillary. 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 Ancillary options. Um, you know, like McKinnon. Um, maybe Kelsey has slowed down a step or two. Um, it's I think that's that's on the radar. I think you gotta ask. Um, you know, halftime adjustments, maybe leaning into E B. Uh these are just kind of some some things that are on the radar uh for why the offense is, has you know struggled with you know, a similar receiving core as last year because it just doesn't, that doesn't compute to me that it's just the receivers. I, it has to be more unless I'm just wildly underrating Juju Smith-Schuster. So, so I think should, you want to move to the defense? Or you still got yeah, me? I mean, I think what it all boils down to is a question that I posed right at the end of the game on Sunday. Are the Chiefs a defensive team now? Like, Mahomes says they're the best in the league. That might be a little bit biased because they're his defense they have the lowest yards per play on third down since the year 2000. That was the Ravens defense, by the way. Uh, they are currently number two in points, number two in sacks, number three in yards, number eight in turnovers. They are only allowing 176 passing yards per game right now, folks. The Chiefs defense is sensational. They're like beyond reproach. What does that mean for the identity of the team? I don't know. Do, do you think that they are a defensive team, at least through the first half of the season? I mean, yeah. I mean, right now, I, I don't think you could argue it. I mean, the defense the defense has outperformed the offense across across the board so far this year. Like, I, I, would, I would have to agree. It's a defensive team with maybe the best quarterback of all time in his absolute prime on the other side of the ball. It's, it's a bizarre thing to say. Um, it could also you could also say if the offense figures it out, if the best player to maybe ever exist and to play football figures it out, then we might be looking at an all time team here. Um, but I wanted to talk about you know the tease the the title of this year episode, the MVP of this team, and it didn't say player, but it's not a player. It's Steve Spagnolo. Steve Spagnolo this week, I was blown away with with what he did to Miami. Um, Miami comes in as, like I said, like the number one offense. His game plan, getting physical with the receivers. I mean, that was easy to see coming, but still, that's, I mean, you see Tyreek just get jacked in the face. And with an offense that runs predominantly on timing like that, that's going to screw up the timing. 
And you know, two Tua's entire game is based on timing, and they just like they they destroyed it. Um, the way they attacked those short screens, the little throwouts to Tyreek that you see time and time again get ten yards against other teams. The Chiefs are just shooting those gaps with their defensive backs, and it leads to the biggest play of the game with Trent McDuffie stripping Tyreek. Um, they kind of did the same thing to perimeter runs. They just have defensive backs up on the line, just not afraid to press the Dolphins receivers and then attacking from the perimeter. And they were kind of blowing up those runs on the end too and, until like the last drive where I think they kind of uh, maybe changed up their strategy, weren't ready for a running game, and the Dolphins got them a couple times on those sweeps around the end. Uh, so the game plan coming in, and then you get them in those third and longs, and, and Spagnuolo just dialed it up. I mean, he really got in his bag this week. You could tell it was a game like they took really seriously because I think he was inting the bag. Uh, he had Tua in a blender. Um, Tua might have been the NFL MVP coming into this game. Um, and he just looked, he just swallowed the ball and threw it away or took sacks on seemingly every third down. Like they just didn't really have an answer. Um, and it just felt like, you know, they were blitzing on every third down and it was coming from everywhere. And the Dolphins offense could not keep up. And, and, Part of this is just like the defense that Spags has built, or Veach has built, I guess you could say, uh, with Spags in his ear, I would guess. But the versatility in the secondary, with all these guys being able to tackle, all these guys being able to blitz, you have safeties that are able to cover receivers. Like, it's just such a mixed bag out there. We get Chimichurri out there, who's just like this physical dude coming off the corner. Like, that's that was the perfect kind of game for him. Um, it's The thing Steve Spagnuolo is doing right now the way that he has improved this defense uh, is amazing. And I, and I think it's unquestioned that he is the team MVP so far this year. Do you have any, uh, you have any good recipes for Crow? Because uh, I could tell you, when they first hired Spags, I, I guess the, the way that I framed the Spagnolo hire was he has been good when he has been loaded with talent. But he has had just as many seasons where his team is like bottom five as they've been top five. And I was really, really nervous about the hire. And this defense, one of the things that I think really jumps off the screen, apart from the fact that they obviously like Chris Jones is sensational. Uh, we could point to uh, at least the perception of him preseason that Nick Bolton was like bordering on all pro. I mean, a uh, very, very popular young linebacker that's known nationally, not just in Kansas City, particularly because he basically, you know, should have had two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Um, but beyond that, it was like we in Kansas City think that Legarius Sneed is good, but nobody else really knows. And then all of these rookies, so many young players on this defense. And so the saying that, everyone always seems to screw up and I'm probably not going to get it right. But like the whole is greater than the sum of the parts on this defense. And so I don't think that I can sit here and point to, well, the defense is just so loaded with talent. Oh my gosh, look at all these unbelievable top of the line players. The way that those defenses were in New, uh, in New York, where it's like they've got eight different guys that are you know, getting after it, top of the line sort of players. I, and and look, I might even have a misconception in there because I want to say that in the 2007 season when the Patriots, that's the undefeated year, right? That they ended up knocking them off. Wasn't Kavika Mitchell the starting middle linebacker for that team? Yeah. So, you know, 
I mean, shout shout out to Kavika Mitchell. Uh, you know, good 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 on you, fella. I, I gave I gave Kavika a handshake once up in uh, River Falls. Did he break uh, your knee? Went up to him like in the parking lot. He he had the biggest fucking mitt. His handshake was so strong, and his hand was so fucking bad. I was just like, whoa! <laughs> like, How old were you when that happened? Uh, probably around eighteen, I think. Okay, is that what inspired you to then grow out the ponytail? Was Kavika Mitchell with the, the nice long? Absolutely, yeah. I modeled my life after Kavika. Right. I want to be Polynesian. My first Twitter account was his Kavikaness. Uh, if, cool. if most people don't remember, yeah. Was, Here we go. Okay. Yeah, but my hands never grew it. I, I got skinny, skinny little dainty fingers. I'm Still, a he, this this is something that I want you to consider because there used to be this conversation about how bad the Chiefs' defense was and that they kept turning opponents into Patrick Mahomes. They were allowing opponents to play as well as Patrick Mahomes does because the defense was so terrible. Well, now we're seeing the inverse of it. I told you that the Chiefs' defense is third in yards. They average on the season allowing 288 yards from scrimmage to be the third best defense in yards. How many yards did the Dolphins have on Sunday? 292. They put them right on the mark. The Dolphins did exactly what the Chiefs have been allowing throughout the season. The 14 points that the Dolphins scored, I think the Chiefs are allowing like 15 points per game on the season. I mean, they turned the league's best offense into any opponent that the Chiefs play. doesn't matter who you are. These are the numbers that are going to happen. And that is the stuff for Spagnuolo that is so impressive. It's not these like, big peaks and valleys it's every week week after week teams are struggling to score even into the 20s right they're holding almost every opponent under 21 um i don't think that i think that they've kind of fallen off from baltimore in some of those like touchdowns allowed or scoring drives allowed like some of those efficiency numbers but they're still again i'll repeat it for you folks number two in points number two in sacks number three in yards number eight in turnovers. Where's the weakness? They're good at everything defensively. And because they are so young, largely like across the entire defense, you know who their veteran leader is? The coach. It's Steve Spagnuolo. I'm in lockstep with you, man. I mean, it's to the point where he's at this age that like, I don't know if he wants a head coaching job. He's already filled foolish if people aren't at least making calls this offseason because Spags, his MO for so long was he doesn't want to play young players. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to do that. And it took even jokes about Brett Veach saying, all right, well, I'm going to do the Moneyball thing. Dan Sorensen doesn't play here anymore. Ben Neiman doesn't play here anymore. And even like, uh, you know, I want to say that Darius Harris doesn't play here anymore, although... They did kind of bring him back in. He's back in the fold. Um, but it's like like Veach has started to attack some of those positions that felt like they were old or slow or unskilled. And they have just infused so much young, hungry talent on that defense. Dude, the depth is incredible. And, and, and I just, I think that it really, all of the way that they have become so effective, it all comes from the top. It all flows from the top with Steve Spagnuolo. Yeah, and the depth. I mean, obviously, we've seen the depth at linebacker so far this year come through with injuries. In defensive background, we got Chimichurri fighting to get snaps. He can only get in, in game plan specific games. 
Um, Joshua Williams is getting pushed off the field because he's our fourth best corner, even though he's definitely an NFL level corner. Um, Mike Edwards is actually taking staffs away from Brian Cook because Mike Edwards was such a good free agent signing. Um, and really, it's it's wild because he's, he's doing it in a different way. Like you talked about the Giants with Spagnolo. That was just like an absolutely elite defensive line. And they just let them tee off and and get all the pressure. Um, so I don't think, I don't remember if they like blitzed that much, but it was how I remember that defense is just like, you know, you had Strahan and Tuck and uh, OCU Vignora, and they just, you know, let the I think they had attack the Q and Ukater too. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and they just got after him, and that was it. And then in this game against the Dolphins, like I hardly remember the defensive line actually like doing it themselves. It was almost always a blitz coming off the, the corner. And it was it was unblocked. Like they just confused the offensive line so much that they got after two immediately. And I mean, a lot of that's just bringing the house. Um, you mentioned like a weakness. The weakness coming up before the game was that the Chiefs were thirty first against the run in some kind of stat, an IPA stat, I think it was. Uh, so shout out to IPAs. Um, but they were thirty first against the run, and then. <laughs> Uh, really shut down Mostert until that final drive, which I talked about. He ripped off a 25-yard run. I think he had another 20-yard run. So before that, he would have basically had 40 yards in the game. Um, so they really did a good job just shutting down that running game. Um, so that was wild to see. And we're even seeing a little bit of Spags shutdown mode. Because I was watching Zach Wilson last night, and I was like, man, this dude is terrible. He's terrible. How did he do so good against us? And I was thinking about it. We went into sag shutdown mode, man. We ain't breaking out these blizzes against the fucking Jets. You know, we're saving this for a game against the Dolphins. Like, we we we've always championed the Andy Reid shutdown mode, but Steve Spagnolo is the one that's that's scheming it up now. Like, I I I don't know. I, I can't get over these these blitzes that he had this week. And then some fun stats. On the season, the Chiefs defense has allowed 3.0 yards per play on third down. That is the lowest in the NFL since at least 2000. So dominating third downs, which I think points directly at Spags. Um, There's another stat. The Chiefs defense is third most improved win blitzing. Uh, So like their DVOA without blitzing versus blitzing, and they just get way better when they're blitzing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's that's another Spags point. It's just the the stuff that Spagnolo is doing. Uh, How about, oh, we got another fun stat from Craig Stout. Uh, they unveiled this week. The Chiefs defense has only allowed three receivers over 80 yards through nine weeks. Josh Palmer, Christian Kirk, and Josh Reynolds. But they've played four of the league's top eight receivers in yards. Tyreek, DJ Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Keenan Allen, plus Justin Jefferson, who is in the top eight because he's been hurt. None of them reached 80 yards. Uh, mm-hmm. A fun set from Craig Stout. So they're shutting down number one receivers. They're getting after the quarterback. They're doing everything. It's, it's incredible. And Steve Spagnuolo is the one that's that's clearly in charge. This isn't like a, you know, the offensive room has Andy Reid in there and, and Eric Bieniemy's helping call plays and Matt Nagy's in there and maybe Brad Childress is still hanging out eating eating Cheetos in the back. No, this is this is all Steve Spagnuolo. Like he's unquestionably the guy at the head at the helm, uh, and and just having a fantastic season. And I don't think he leaves because I don't know how many coaches get three head coaching shots mm-hmm. in their career. And he he didn't do a good job in either stop. So he's just one of those guys that's a fantastic coordinator not built to be a head coach. So a couple like volume counting stats that I still think are absolutely hilarious. Uh, I told you that the Chiefs are eighth in uh, takeaways on defense. I believe that they have 19 takeaways so far this year. 
only five of them are interceptions. We don't have a player on defense that even has two interceptions. All right. Five guys have one pick and it goes to show you that whether it's Trent McDuffie with four forced fumbles or Tranquil has two of his own and then you're getting Justin Reed's forced to fumble, Willie Gay's forced to fumble, George Karloftis is forced to fumble, Felix has forced to fumble according to people reference. Where are thou? Uh, I also look at sacks. The Chiefs are second in sacks. I think perhaps the most astonishing part of this, at least based on like watching the game, the aesthetics of Sunday when sometimes Monday football for the Kansas City and sometimes Thursday uh, football for the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel like Trent McDuffie has like 14 sacks this year. Uh, he is constantly in the backfield. He has zero. He no. doesn't have any yet. And I'm just like, wait, how? Uh, because it seems like he's always he's always disrupting back there. Um, I, I don't. I I saw him. Uh, I saw him drag his sack all over Tyreek on on Sunday. That doesn't count. Different kind of sack. Mm. But no, I I think they should count it. I think they should count it. I mean, I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys can hear it. There's still a little. There's a little in there from my screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering and jumping and rejoicing at that particular play. Um, best play of the season. Yeah. He, he, my favorite play of this season for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, hard, Going to be hard to top, frankly, uh, at least until you're in the playoffs and the games really, really, really matter. Um, I, Brian Cook, the, uh, the, the, the actual gate on that man as he's running down the sideline. It looked like there's nobody on the planet that was going to be able to catch him. Um, it was absolutely delightful. So, somebody said he ran like a like a what was it like a bad guy in Scooby Doo or something like that. Like a <laughs> I didn't even notice his running because I was just I think I was just jumping and cheering or something. So it took me a while to uh, see what everybody else saw. I didn't even know it was Tyreek you know, first. I had, until the replay happened and I got I got to see that it was Tyreek. But man. It's hard to uh, beat the uh, poetic nature of that play with, you know, Chiefs fans still. I mean, I put out a stat about the 2021 Chiefs, you know, you know, the improve the offense struggling and then improving. And it's just like I had to mute the, the tweet because it's just 100 responses like, well, we still had Tyreek. And it's just like people still missing Tyreek and, and missing what he could bring to this offense, to this team. And it's just like they made the conscious decision to use that to improve other parts of their game. They used that. They used the money to help build their offensive line. They used, and most of it to the defense. They throw these picks at the defense, and Mahomes giving up the rest. This was their their strategy, their philosophy, and you know people are still questioning it because we've seen the offense go down a little bit this year, and the receivers are struggling. And and it, I mean, I get it; it makes sense. But they made that decision to get better on defense, and you saw the direct result of you know the main piece of that trade coming into contact with Tyreek Hill, stripping it away and making the play that that basically wins the game. Um, and so it was, it was as poetic as it gets. And yeah, it's, it'll be hard to top that play, uh, for, for, you know, best play of 2023. Do you think the defensive backs are the best position group on the team? Quarterback. Well, that's a, that's a one man group. Unless you listen to amateur hour where I'm advocating for a, a snap share for one Blaine Gabbert, particularly on third or fourth and short. Right, Ryan getting those snap counts on Monday. Look for Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert still zero snaps. What the what the fuck? What are we doing here? 
Does anybody have Andy's number? Um, we can't leave before talking about hype man number one. Actually, he's number 50, but it is one Willie Gay. Um, when we entered the season after signing Drew Tranquil, uh, I think a lot of us had said that this Tranquil signing is more about Willie Gay than it is about, you know, being a backup to Nick Bolton or whatever. Um, didn't really know where Willie fit on this defense. He, I want to say, has been getting like more opportunities because Nick Bolton hasn't been healthy for much of the season and still won't be for another, I don't even know at this point, another six weeks maybe. Um, but here's the thing with Willie. I think he still only played like half the snaps. Um, only, only 40% this week, which is which is crazy because he had at least two, I think three big plays in this game. Major, major contributor. And I mean, I think it was the Chargers game. Uh, the reason I started thinking about Willie Gay was because you mentioned the uh, the Scooby-Doo villain. And they're like, and I did the the, the thing. Do you, was it the Chargers game? When they false started and Willie was out there and he was doing the the false start dance, it was so great. I wanted somebody to put it in the gift. I didn't know she actually came through, but uh, I'm I'm starting to think. And I mean, I'm obviously it's recency bias because of the way that he's playing. But like Willie Gay is a really important guy in that locker room. He truly is like their biggest hype man. And it doesn't matter if it's the offense or the defense that's on the field. Like he is an energy bringer and he's so athletic and has the potential to do so many things. Slow start to his career, um, had some issues in college, being able to stay on the field for various reasons. So like Willie still hasn't played a lot of football. And I think that he's a guy that unless teams see the athleticism and say, we're going to go throw $16, $17 million a year at this guy like they've done with players in the past, like a Quan Alexander. or uh, I'm telling you, like sometimes teams just get crazy. They see the athletic traits and they see some of the splash plays and they're like, we think that this guy can be the best linebacker in the NFL. I think that there's a chance if Willie is playing a lot uh, through the rest of the season that he could get a really big contract figure thrown at him in free agency. But man, I don't. I I kind of want to see them keep him because he's just such a chess piece. He's really good in coverage. He's really good at blitzing. He's really good against the run. I mean, he might be kind of jack of all trades, master of none at this point. Uh, but he brings so much to the table. I, I just really want to commend him. The contract year is undefeated. I think that Willie is playing absolutely fantastic, and it's really fun to see. It's really fun to see, with all, especially with all the setbacks. Good on you, man. Way to keep, uh, what do they say, chopping wood? Keep chopping wood? Keep chopping wood. Uh, yeah, and last year I remember I coined Willie Gale as like the key to the defense uh, just because uh, we weren't forcing many turnovers and he felt like one of like the few playmaker, few, few true playmakers that we had on defense. Uh, so I, call it, I was calling him kind of like the key to the defense. Like we need him to step up and make plays. Um, and we kind of saw that this week, although I think the playmakers are more aplenty this year. I kind of had a hypothetical real real quick. Let's get it out. Okay. You kind of stepped all over my numbers, but a question that, that flashed on my mind real quick. Would you rather have Chris Jones next year or Sneed, Gay, and Mike Dana? Oh, Sneed, Gay, and Mike Dana. Not even close. Not even close. Not even close. 
Um, I, 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 have the numbers. I sorry, I was kind of putting Chris Jones at like 30 million a year because that's kind of what he's asking for, I guess. And then like Sneed 17, Dana 8, gave 5. So, I mean, that's why I kind of blew my mind at mm. uh, the number that you threw out there for him. I don't think he'll get anything close to that personally. But I was shocked that Quan Alexander actually did get 14 million a year. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. There, him there have been a couple of random athletic linebackers like that. I think like Kiko Alonso signed some huge deal and got cut like a year or two later too. Oh, yeah. I mean, like there there have been some linebackers that it's like they just see a couple things and they're like, that's the guy. And it usually ends up being, you know, the Bears. Or I wonder if that's, yeah, I wonder if that's kind of a transition now. People have just seen it as a less valuable position. But no no question in your mind, you'd rather have the uh, – because I think that'll be kind of a decision this year. They're going to have to decide, like, do you know, do we keep some of these role-playing guys or do we, you know, pay the big bag for Chris Jones? Um, so that will be kind of a thing that it's kind of just a hypothetical that pops right. in. I think there's strength in numbers, um, and and they will still need a linchpin. Uh, they will need somebody in the center of that defense, like Chris Jones. Um, and he, you're certainly not going to get Chris Jones production out of a one for one swap. It's it's not going to happen. But if you're telling me I get to keep more pieces of this defense, um, all of which are, I think Snead is probably the closest to Chris Jones in age, and he's at least two years younger, if not three. Like, yeah, I'll just just give me the youth. Give me the numbers. Um, I think that despite the fact that Chris Jones had the stupid personal foul penalty um, and has also broke the streak of consecutive games with a sack and didn't honestly wasn't very noticeable to me against the Dolphins. Um, I I just I don't know. I mean, he's he's kind of tailed off a little bit, which is is interesting. I, I do think that maybe guys like he and Kelsey uh, playing high percentage of the snaps as they age, um, you know they, they probably will be able to use this buy effectively. Uh, for, we are also going to use this buy effectively next week. We're going to revisit yeah. some of Dirk's, you know, preseason 2023. Here are the questions for this team. Kind of reset as the team does. Yeah, sorry. Just a tease out of that is that there will be a bigger Chris Jones conversation because I think he has really quieted down the last three weeks or so, uh, and something I wanted to talk about, but. I think we'll push that to next week because it was one of the big preseason questions. Uh, so a tease for next week that there'll be some Chris Jones discussions. Well, folks, we will see you on November 14th. At that time, I will be a married man. Hey, congrats, buddy. Hey, this is me? Pretty pumped. This Saturday. It's coming me? up. Me? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would if I weren't spoken for. You were my second choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can marry you. But you know what? We've been in a relationship for a long time, Dirk. We're technically domestic partners. Hey! So, how about that? Uh, folks, this has been Amateur Hour. I'm Ryan Scott Hall. He's his Dirkness. And Justin Herbert is Philip Rivers. Rivers never had a game like Rivers would never let that happen last night. Never would have let that happen. <laughs>